0: all right good morning. good morning if you got a bible and i hope you do open with me to philippians 3 philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be i'm going to pray for us while you're turning there go ahead and keep turning uh pray with me real quick dear god thank you so much this day thank you so much uh for the opportunity to come uh before your people uh and preach your word god i pray that over the next few minutes all distractions would cease and god we would be able to hear from your word Um, and and draw from you and your Holy Spirit, dear God, and I pray, Lord, that we would leave here uh, more full of you than when we came in, more in love with you than when we came in, Lord. Let that be done uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 3. If you've been here, we have been going through the book of Philippians. Um, We've been looking at how Paul urges us to not... Uh, slow down, but keep moving forward. And what I want to do as we dive in today uh, is uh, open with a question, okay? So bear with me for just a moment and think about the answer uh, to this question. If uh, there was anything in your life that uh, would earn you God's approval, God's happiness, what are those things? Uh, In other words, what I'm asking is what are the things that you do for God that make Him, in your opinion, probably happy with you? Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. Maybe it's tithing. Maybe it's reading your Bible. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's being a good spouse. What are the things that earn you God's approval, God's happiness? At this point, there's probably a couple responses going around in the room, okay? Number one, the first response is you have, even if you know that that was a bad question, put together a list of things that you do that earns God's approval. The second uh, response is probably something to the effect of, I thought nothing earns me God's approval, right? Both of those statements, uh, that, that second statement is completely true. Nothing earns you God's approval. But I'm willing to bet, even as I ask that question, there are a number of things that if I, I were to say to you, what, gets, what makes God happy with you, there are a number of actions that you could list off that if, if you were honest, you think when I do these things, God is happy with me. Uh, this is the reason if we can uh, just all commit this from a place of like personal honesty when we wake up in the mornings right when that alarm clock goes off we get out of bed we walk to the kitchen pour ourselves a cup of coffee read our Bible and say our prayers and have a quiet time we start that day feeling like God's a little bit more happy with us than if we had just kept uh, kept our eyes closed and slept straight through the alarm right I set that up really intentionally, okay, because this, here's the deal. One of the greatest threats to Christians, uh, not only in today's age, but of all ages, okay? And we're going to talk about how it was true in Paul's day too. But one of the greatest threats Christians are always facing is the temptation to begin to believe that we are saved by Jesus plus additional requirements. And this is especially true for those of us who grew up in church, those of us who have been doing this church thing for quite a while. What we begin to think is that, yes, I know that I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, but I need to do these things as well so that God will be happy with me. So that, I, I gave you a list here. This is a list I'll probably refer to all morning. But what we begin to think is that I know God saves me by grace, but if I'm really going to be saved, if I'm really going to make it to heaven, I've got to also tithe, Right? I know I'm saved by grace, but if I'm really going to make God happy, i got to go serve in kids' ministry. Let me just say, if anything would make God's approval of you, it would be serving in kids' ministry. Okay? Amen? That was a plug. Serving in kids' ministry. No, but we begin to thank God, Jesus... Plus additional things means God's happy with me, right? This is, this is not a new temptation. What happens is we begin to think, well, I, I, got, I need to do a little bit better. I need to be a little bit better because here's what we know about ourselves. That in and of ourselves, we know we are not worth the love that Jesus gives us, right? We just say like, man, if Jesus, we, we kind of have this feeling all the time, like, man, if Jesus really knew, right? That's why I say all the time, like you take my thoughts that I have all throughout the week, put them on the screen. We got a search committee getting together, right? Yeah. Because we know in and of it, man, uh, if Jesus only knew. This is one of the greatest temptations... That, uh, Christians have always faced, and as we come to Philippians chapter three, that what we're going to see is that this threat was also present in Paul's day. In Paul's day, there was a particular group of people who taught this works-based righteousness, and they were called the Judaizers. Now, what the Judaizers believed that you is was that you had to have Jesus plus additional requirements, and that equaled salvation. This will be on the screen. I want you to see their what their equation for salvation was. They had they taught a half gospel. They taught that you had to have Jesus right as. They were Christians. They believed that you had to have Jesus, but that you also had to follow additional rules in order to be saved by Jesus in the last day. What this looked like is that they were specifically called Judaizers because they thought you had to have Jesus plus follow the Old Testament law, uh, plus follow the Old Testament rituals to have salvation. Uh, so really specifically what they uh, had in mind uh, amongst other fast and keeping things was the ritual of circumcision. They believed that you had to follow Jesus and then follow the Old Testament law and still be circumcised circumcised to have uh, salvation. Now, real quick, I've already said circumcision more than I'm comfortable with for this whole sermon, but if you don't know what that is, Brandon, who is our student uh, minister, would love to take the time to explain that to you afterward, okay? Uh, It's part of the maturation process of a minister to have to explain that to anybody who doesn't understand it, okay? So feel free. But uh, what I want us to see is that they were teaching a half gospel, Okay? The half gospel was Jesus requires half the sal- provides half the salvation. I provide the other half, right? Jesus plus my behavior. Now, while we criticize these Judaizers, this is the exact same thing that we do all the time. We find ourselves believing a half gospel. That Jesus saves me plus my good behavior, plus my good tithing, plus me being a good spouse, plus me reading the Bible. This is what actually makes me a Christian. And here's what I want you to understand today. That is a lie from the pit of hell and is a half gospel and is not sufficient to save you. That's why it's a half gospel. The actual gospel looks just like this. The true gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen. So the way I want to say this is as we set everything up is simply this. There is nothing you can do to take away from the cross. What I mean by that is there's no sin you can commit that will out the cross. You know what I'm saying? You're not too far gone. I murdered somebody. Jesus doesn't care. So did Paul. Okay, There's no sin that you can commit to out the gospel. But listen to me. There's also no good deed you can have that can add to the gospel. There's no amount of good that you can do that's going to make Jesus look down here and be like, man, need that guy on my team. Okay? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Now, I'm taking way too much time in this intro, uh, but we need to have this set up before we start. This is a really serious thing for Paul. As a matter of fact, it's so serious that he insults the Judaizers. In Philippians 3, 2, we're going to read this in just a second. He starts this letter by saying, beware of the dogs. Now, men, let's just be clear about a couple things. Somebody calls you a dog, those are fighting words, right? What's going to happen? We're going to trade a little blood because that's a serious insult. Beware of the dogs, right? This is this is a harsh term. It's a derogatory term where he's saying, "Beware of these dogs." In other words, these these uh, specimens. They they trying to they think they're trying to teach you Christianity. They're really not, okay? So it's a harsh term, but it's also a, it's a term specifying the threat. Anybody remember the movie uh, Sandlot? You watched Sandlot growing up, right? I love that movie. The best part of that movie is the dog, right? The beast on the other side of the fence, right? And what are these kids thinking the whole time? They're they're living their whole life in fear at the threat that's on the other side of the fence. And that's what Paul has in mind here. He wants us to see that there is a very real threat on the other side of the fence. So this this is imperative that we get this stuff right. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. So my goal today as we go through this is just to to help us understand this. My goal today is to show us from this text, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Now, understand this. This is the most important part of Christianity. If you get this, you're a Christian. If you don't get this, you're not a Christian. Okay? We can disagree on Calvinism and Arminianism. We can disagree on whether there's a rapture or not a rapture. Uh, some of y'all are like, it. it's the first time I ever heard that, not a rapture. All right? We'll talk about it later. But we, you can disagree on all the fine points of, uh, of theology in the Christian faith, okay? But if you don't get this, you're not a Christian. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Okay? Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, I'm going to stop a little bit as we walk through this to kind of help us understand it, So, just like I just did. So here we go. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, real quick, we need to understand what's happening. This is a gospel reminder, what Paul's about to issue us. He says, to write the same things to you. In other words, what that's saying is, I know we've talked about this before, but we're going to talk about it again okay to write the same things he's like a teacher kind of saying i know we've gone over this but we got to keep going over it okay now this is really important for us to understand because what we like to think as christians a lot of times is we get the gospel and then we move past it into the big boy stuff right what paul's saying is that the gospel is the big boy stuff the gospel is not a diving board into the pool of christianity the gospel is the swimming pool of christianity you don't move past this Okay, we like to think, well, real Christians, the the sincere Christians are the tithers and and the Bible readers and the servants. Right. All of that stuff may be in the water, but it's not the water. The gospel is the swimming pool. Verse two, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. look out for those who, who mutilate the flesh. Now real quick, mutilate the flesh. This is him talking about those who are of the circumcision party, but he's, making, he's throwing a shot at them, okay? He, the, he, what he's saying to them is basically this: the, Those people, those Judaizers, Judaizers think that because you get circumcised, that makes you a Christian, and it doesn't make you a Christian. So what they're actually just doing is mutilating themselves. They're just cutting on themselves. He's he's throwing insults at him, okay? And like, understand this: in Paul's mind, there are some things worth insulting people over, right? Not a lot of things, maybe just one thing—the gospel. But when it comes time to it, there's some things worth fighting for. Verse three. For we are the actual circumcision. See what he did there? You guys just cut yourself. We're the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, you guys think you're the circumcision. We're the actual circumcision. You want to know what our mark is? It's a mark of Jesus Christ. In other words, you guys are putting hope in your flesh. We're putting hope in Jesus. That's, the, that's what's going on here. Verse 4. Now, this is where it gets fun. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You ever met somebody that thought they were better than you? Here's what I love about Paul. Paul don't think anything. Paul knows he's better than you, alright? And he wants to prove it to you. Verse 5. Here's what he says. I have more reason for confidence. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That is a rap sheet, boys and girls. We'll talk about it in just a second. Okay, we've got to keep going. Indeed, I count everything as... say I was tired when I walked in this room, too. I, like, I didn't have this much energy. I saw y'all singing, the 11, 10, y'all. Y'all got the Holy Spirit in this place. All right, keep going. (laughs) Indeed, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I might gain Christ. All right, let's stop right here. We'll finish reading the rest as we go. So what Paul does, I told you this is a gospel reminder. I I want us to see that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what I want us to do is use the reminders that Paul puts in the flesh to see this, okay? I mean, Paul puts in the text, not the flesh, okay? He didn't cut it, all right? But I want us to see the reminders that Paul puts in the text to see this, okay? Reminder number one, we need to resist gain. Resist gain. When we talk about believing the gospel. What does it mean to believe the gospel? It means that we resist gain. Now, I know that's a very weird statement. It's a very weird way to say that, right? But I want to use the language that Paul uses in this text. And I think the way he says it is basically this. We need to resist gain. Now, what does that mean? It means we need to resist the temptation to put any hope, any confidence, any trust in what we offer God. Right, And so what basically Paul's saying is that the things that we would consider to be a gain for us, the things when I asked you earlier, that you, the things that came to your mind that said, when we do these things, that because I am this, it makes God happy with me. We need to resist the temptation to trust in those gains. Does that make sense? We don't, we don't hold to those things. We don't trust those things. We need to resist that temptation. Now, let me just say it as bluntly as possible. What's Paul trying to remind us of is simply this. There is nothing that we offer God that impresses God. There is nothing that we offer God that impresses God. Can I tell you, though, I think there are a lot of times, especially for us church folks, especially for us Christians, we begin to think that we're acting in such a way that God's really impressed with us. Right? We we come in here, we write our tithe check, put it in there, and we just think God's like, man, you're doing awesome. So glad you're on my team, right? We go by there, we serve in kids ministry, and we're like, God, man, God's, look at us, killing it, right? We, we, we begin to operate like we've got some kind uh, of leg up because we're Christian, and that makes God happy with us, right? Look at our good behavior, right? We're like a toddler saying, I didn't get any marks on the board at school today, right? We think God's impressive with, impressed with us. Here's the thing. There is nothing that we offer God that impresses God. Isaiah 64, 6 says it this way. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Now notice what he says there. He says our righteous deeds. He doesn't say our our unrighteous deeds. We would get that, right? But what the Bible says is even the good things you do, if you try to bring those to God and say, hey, here's here's my good behavior, doesn't that impress you? It's like a dirty rag to God. It'd be the equivalent of me taking a shower, taking my towel, drying off with it, right? Bringing it up to you and say, I got a gift for you, right? Wow, thanks a lot, right? That's what we're bringing to God when we say, look at how awesome I am. There's nothing that we offer God that impresses God. But now this is a a word we need for our society, right? Because we live in the society where we try to impress everyone. Right? we got pages dedicated to making our life look awesome. So we try to impress everybody, and all of a sudden we begin to act like that toward God. Hey, understand this. We are not impressive. Now, we are valuable. Okay, God does put a value on us. God does love us. But we're not impressive. We matter. We're just not special. And this is Paul's point. As a matter of fact, Paul's point is if anyone had anything worth offering God, it was him. Now, and I, I love that confidence, right? I, you know, God, Paul's talking to you guys. He's like, hey, guys, nobody offers God anything. But if anybody did, it was me. Right? That, that's, that's a level of brashness. But this is Paul, Paul's point. Look at my resume. If anybody offers God anything, Paul's saying it's not y'all, it's me. Look at his resume. Look with me back at verse 5. I want us to see this. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, last time I got to say the word circumcision. All right? Circumcised on the eighth day. What's that mean? He, this is the way of, uh, I think in the South we say it like this. I've been coming to church nine months before I was born. Right? Anybody ever heard that saying? All right? This is, what, this is Paul's way of saying that. Paul's saying, I've been a Jew. I've been an Israelite before I was ever born, before I was ever making decisions for myself. Right? I was following the rituals when I couldn't even follow them for myself. I was obeying the law when I couldn't even obey for myself. This is what Paul's saying. i got a pretty good track record. He says, I was circumcised, got to say it one more time, on the eighth day, of the people of Israel. Now, now what's, he, what's he getting at? Of the people of Israel. Here's what we know. The people of Israel were the chosen people of God. Now, what he's saying is, I'm an ethnic Jew. In other words, I can trace my heritage back to the people, to Moses himself. So get this. He's saying, like, listen, you can be a convert to Judaism. That's cool. That ain't him. All right. He was born into it. True blooded person of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, this is a really important statement. Because you may not know this based on how well you've read the Old Testament, okay? But does anybody know why, where the first king in Israel came from, Israel's history? The first king in Israel's history came from the tribe of Benjamin. So this is a pretty impressive flex, actually. What pa- Paul is saying is not only am I a person of the tribe of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, which means I'm royalty, right? Now, here's, here's what we know. Nobody's better than anybody, Unless you're a royal. And then you are legitimately, by blood, by God, sovereign right, placed as somebody who's better than everybody, right? That's what Paul's saying. You are all peasants, and I'm royalty. Imagine somebody comes in here next week and is like, I'm first cousins with Queen Elizabeth II. You know what that is? Awesome, all right? (laughs) That's what Paul's saying. I am royalty. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, now, most scholars think that this means that not only was he a Jew, he actually spoke the language. In other words, I'm not pretending. I, I, he was about that life. As to the law of Pharisee, now here's where Paul really starts like showing, his, showing his, how he could have earned his salvation if it was possible. Pharisees not only obeyed the Ten Commandments, right? Now, think about this. When we obey the Ten Commandments, we have a good day if we obey, like, what? Half the Ten Commandments, right? We, we, if, like, if we can leave off the, like, do not steal, do not commit adultery, we're like, man, it's been a good one, right? Now, the the Pharisees didn't think it was very impressive to obey half of them. So what they did was they come up and they invented a whole nother list of laws that added to the Ten Commandments, totally about 611 total. And what they did was they said, we're going to obey all 611 commandments. Now, so what he's saying is your little 10-minute streak where you manage not to take the Lord's name in vain is not impressive to him. Okay. He's been not only obeying the Ten Commandments, he's been obeying the 611 Commandments. And as a Pharisee, and here's what that means. He's been doing a pretty good job, right? They, they, they let him be one of them. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He says, I was so passionate about this stuff, I killed people for doing it the wrong way. Right? That that's that's if anybody, He's saying, listen, if this was the way... I was the guy who was about it. As to zeal, a persecutor to the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, if it was possible for somebody to get before God and God say, you know what? You've done pretty good. You've earned this. Paul's saying, it was me. The point is, though, even Paul had nothing to offer God. We go back and read in the rest of the New Testament, what does he say? Christ died to save sinners, of whom what? I'm the worst. So Paul thinks he's got all these the, the, he says this is the whole list again. He says they don't they don't amount to anything because actually what the true gospel is is this he understands that Jesus plus additional requirements equals no salvation. Jesus plus additional requirements equals no salvation. So now, listen, if that's true, why would we begin to think that we can offer God anything? Paul's saying, if I could, if anybody was going to offer him something, it's me, and I didn't. So if that's true, why would we begin to think we can earn God's favor? Why would we begin to think any amount of tithing, any amount of serving, any amount of good deeds is going to be the thing that when God looks down from heaven, he's going to say, you know what, at least that person's trying. I'm happy with them. Here's what Paul is trying to help us understand. There is nothing that we can do to make God love us anymore. Jesus plus anything doesn't equal anything. It equals no salvation. And can I just tell you, like, this is, just from personal testimony, like this is good news because I grew up believing that, man, if I tried a little bit harder, man, I know I sinned today, I know I messed up today, but tomorrow if I wake up and try a little bit harder, maybe then Jesus is going to be happy with me. Can I tell you this is good news because there are days when I miss that quiet time and I think, man, God's got to be disappointed in me right now. And here's the truth. Jesus plus anything equals no salvation. God loves you because he loves you. So we have, to resist, we have to resist the temptation to think, well, maybe I can earn God's love. It's all in Jesus Christ, which is why we get to point number two, reminder number two. We have to embrace loss. So we have to resist gain. No, that's a weird way to say that. We also have to embrace loss. Now, Look what happens in verse 7. Paul tells us, he says, I've got this list of debits that adds to my account, right? It makes God happy with me. Look at And then now look what happens in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Now, imagine this with me. Real quick, show of hands. Does anybody in here still keep a checkbook, like a paper checkbook? You do that. Okay, a few, all right? Guys, online banking is amazing, all right? No, I'm just kidding. All right, if you write checks, I get it. There's still a need for a checkbook, right? But now at, think about it. If you've kept a checkbook, I, I asked that question just to pick on you guys who raised your hand, actually. Uh, but if you do, do still keep a checkbook or you've kept one in the past, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got, a two, you've got two columns, right, uh, that, that equal the sum of your account. You've got a, a deposit column and you've got a debit column. Now what Paul is saying is that I used to have a big list on the deposit side. And here's what I realized. All those things that I thought were adding to my account, that were deposits into my account, that were making God happy with me into my account, what I actually realized is that all of those things were actually debits. And here's why they were debits. Because not only were they not making God happy with me, I thought they were earning me righteousness, so they were making me further away from God. All of those things he thought were deposits actually ended up being debits. The things that we, that we used to think, well, this is what's going to make God happy with me. That's the exact things that are keeping us away from God. Because nothing makes God happy with us except the blood of Jesus Christ alone. This is what Paul says. Look at verse 9. This is So if, if Paul, what Paul realizes is that there's no amount of things that I can do to make me righteous before God. So the question becomes, how can I be righteous before God? Verse 9. This is what he says. That I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Here's what he's saying. Righteousness does not come from me. It does not come from how I act. It does not come from my good behavior. Where does it come from? but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's what Paul says happened. All those things I thought were deposits into my account were actually debits, and I was looking for righteousness, and righteousness actually doesn't come from me. It comes from Jesus coming into me. You see, here's what he, he began to realize. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. See, what happens is we begin to work and we think, well, if I just do a little bit more, if I just try a little bit harder, righteousness will come from within me. And what Paul is saying is that what righteousness will never come from within us. It always has to come from without. Now, if you're a real theological nerd, here's what that term is. It's called alien righteousness. And what that means, an alien... And somebody who's, who is outside of their own country, they've gone into another country, right? That's what Paul is saying happens. This is an alien righteousness. It's not from you, it's given to you. It's from Jesus given to you. Here's what that means. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can make you can do to make God love you less. All God sees is Jesus. That is your path to righteousness. You are not enough, so Jesus provides what you would never be. This is what salvation means. It doesn't mean we try a little bit harder. It doesn't mean we try to be a better person. It means we look to Jesus and Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is what saves us. Now, with that said, all right, everybody tracking with me. We got an alien righteousness being provided. All right. It's being, Paul says, all this stuff I thought was adding to my relationship with Christ, it's actually worthless, all right? And he, now something really strange starts to happen in the, in the language, in the reference Paul seems to be using, all right? Look with me at verse 8. He says, righteousness comes from Jesus. So what Paul talks about is that, what Paul realizes is that this stuff is futile to save him, all right? All, this long list of good works is futile to save him. And now in verse 8, he makes a shift and not only begins to reference how it's futile to save him he also begins to talk about how it's futile to satisfy him. that not only will this stuff not save you it won't make you happy look with me at verse 8 verse 8 says this indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish now this rubbish word is a word that changes the tone of what Paul's saying from uh, talking about effectiveness to talking about worthiness. So Paul is not only saying that this stuff's not effective to save you, he seems to be implying that it's not worth your time, that it's not going to make you happy or satisfy you in the end. In other words, what Paul is saying is you can try to be a really good person, You can try to make God happy. You can try to do that in your own power. And here's what's going to happen. On the last day, you're going to be lost and destined to hell. And you're going to be miserable and unhappy. These worldly pursuits, these worldly achievements, these good things, these good dudes, these good deeds, this good family, this religious activity that that we build upon, here's what Paul's saying. It's all trash. That word rubbish there... In the, in the Greek I'm gonna teach you a Greek word all right it is the word skubula. Skubula. You say that with me it's fun ready one two three skubula. you just said a bad word in Greek how dare you okay Skubula is a word in the Greek that now listen to me it's not it, it, it think of it in terms maybe like our word like crap like it's a I don't know like crap from stage oh my gosh all right it's a it, it, it's a word that it may be why it's not like offensive like curse word. It's a word that's just, it's a nasty word, right? It's, a, it's really a word that like if a five-year-old Greek child goes in and says that to their Greek-speaking parents, you know what they're going to do? Wash their mouth out with soap, right? Because it's just like, it's a nasty word. It mean—it literally means a pile of trash, like a pile of heaping, hot worthlessness. Like that that's the image we get here. So what Paul is saying is that my entire life I built. I I had worldly accomplishments. I had good deeds. I had religious activity. And I thought this was going to be the stuff that would save me and satisfy me. I thought this was going to be the stuff that would make me happy and make God happy with me. And Paul says, I built and I built and I built until that last day I built. And here's what I realized. All of that stuff is worthless. It doesn't save me and it doesn't satisfy me. It doesn't work. The best illustration I know to, to give you for this is we're, we're currently moving in our uh, new house, all right? We're in Fountain Hill. We're not going anywhere upstate. We love it here, okay? So we're official residents now. We own a home, all right? And now when we uh, moved into this house, Jenna bought some stuff off Wayfair, new furniture, okay? Now, you may not know this, but I know this because I went to seminary. Wayfair in Hebrew means "band takes long time to put together, okay? <laughs> like... That's a complete lie. It doesn't mean that. But anything off of Wayfair, like I'm telling you right now, it's a good thing God saved me by grace because yesterday about three o'clock, I wanted to call up their corporate office and have a talk, okay? But yeah, so Jenna's bought all this um, new furniture. One of the things she bought was a dresser. Now, I took this dresser, came in two boxes out of the box, and I'm not joking y'all, it had about 200 pieces. So I open this thing up and I look at the instruction manual, all right? And, I, and it says two people, one hour to complete, okay? Well, I thought, well, I'm not two people, I'm one person, so maybe it'll take me two hours, but it won't be that bad, all right? Six hours later, all right, I was still putting this together. And like, Jenna would come in, she'd be like, you okay? And I'd be like, no, like, <laughs> you, you need to leave, right? And so like, <laughs> she's not in here, don't tell her I said that, all right? But uh, it, this, I was putting together this dresser, and I, guys, I worked and I worked and I worked. I got elbow tendinitis because I didn't have a drill and I was screwing so much, right? Like I was in bad way, and so I finally get this thing done, get the drawers done, and I put the bottom two um, cabinets in, worked fine. Middle two cabinets in, worked fine. And I get to the top two drawers, and neither one of them work. And praise God. Wayfair's corporate office was closed. And so I'm sitting here looking at this drawer that I've just spent hours working toward thinking when I get done, I'm going to have a finished project. And what I'm looking at is something that I've been working on and working on and working on thinking that this is what's going to be when it's done. And I'm looking at a pile of trash. And this is what Paul says life is without Jesus. That you can build and you can build, and you can build. And you're going, you think that when I get to the end of it, this, this is it. This is what I need. This is going to work, right? And you get to the end of it, and here's what you're going to find. It doesn't save you, and it doesn't satisfy you. Only Jesus can do that. This is why Jesus says in Luke 9, chapter 25, Luke chapter 9, verse 25, For what does a, it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses himself? In other words, you can build, bro. Build. Do it. Build it all up. But what have you gained if you get to the end of everything and you're looking at a pile of trash and it can't save you before God and it can't even satisfy you now? Keep building. You're wasting life. You're wasting it. Because here's what Paul came to realize. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It equals salvation and He equals satisfaction. So the most blunt way that I can put Paul's teaching here is simply this. Jesus is the sum of life. Jesus is the sum of life. We may have other responsibilities. We may have other roles. We may have other obligations. But what Paul's trying to help us see is that everything is secondary when it comes to what's going to save us and what's going to satisfy us. Jesus is it. Jesus is the sum of life. Now, with all that said, here's here's what's kind of tricky. Because I've spent, and you need to hear me say this, I've spent the last uh, about 30 minutes, I'm going over here, I've spent the last 30 minutes telling you that your behavior does not matter for salvation. All right, now listen. You might be is that what you're saying, Dice? Let me say this as clearly as I can. Your behavior does not matter for salvation. That is exactly what I'm telling you. Your behavior does not make you uh, any more pleasing to Jesus. Your tithe check, your service, your good deeds, it does not make you any more pleasing in the sight of God. Now, you might hear that and say, well, what's the point then? Like, why should I do all these things? Which is why we get to the third reminder. Reminder number three, we need to pursue Jesus. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. He says that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus. Verse 10, that I may know him. So Paul says, none of those good deeds, none of them earn me salvation. None of them make God love me anymore. Why do I do them then? Why do I read my Bible? Why do I come serve? Why do I give my tithe check? For one reason and one reason only. Because I want to know Jesus. See, Paul's hitting on something really found. When this truth profound, when this truth, when this reality that Jesus plus nothing equals everything becomes the reality of our life, our life takes on a singular purpose. And that singular purpose is pursuing Jesus. He says, I'll do anything that I may know him. You see, none of those things make you a Christian. All of those things are what it means to be a Christian. Because life becomes about pursuing Jesus. Jesus becomes the passion of our life, the drive of our life. He becomes what our life is about. And here's how Paul closes it. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may uh, attain the resurrection from the dead. That by any means possible. I want you to see how just like life or death this stuff is to Paul. Like, we come in here, guys, sometimes we sing songs, we feel good about ourselves, and we laugh, we tell, God, tell a couple jokes, everything feels good. And, and here, that, I, I love this job, okay? But we can't lose sight of how life or death this stuff is to Paul. Paul says it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and I'll do whatever it takes to have Jesus. I'll give up anything. I'll do whatever he asks. I'll go wherever he asks. I'll talk to whoever he asks. I'll do whatever it takes that I may know him. And so, really, as we close, the reminder simply becomes this. Okay, are you ready? The reminder simply becomes this. If I am not talking like Paul, I have yet to fully understand what Paul understood. And that's that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, you might be here and you might be like, well, are you saying I'm not a Christian? I don't know. But I'm telling you that one of the reasons the Bible and Paul specifically talks about this, talks like this, is because he wants us to challenge us to ask that question to say, am I willing to talk like Paul taught? To say, by any means necessary. I will do whatever it takes to know Jesus. So that's my question as we close today. Are you willing to do whatever it takes so that you can say by any means necessary as long as I can know Jesus? Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this day. Lord, I know, Lord, I I know that the past 30 minutes were just the fullest ramblings of a man. And I pray that you would uh, fulfill and, and fill in wherever I was falling short. God, forgive me. Um, if I said one thing that was not of you. God, Holy Spirit, overcome my weakness, overcome my deficiency. And by the power of the cross right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to do work in our own hearts. And God, specifically, I pray that you would help us to ask this question. Am I willing to say whatever it takes to know you more, Jesus? Help us to love you, help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.